0: What a great uh, morning we've had so far, um, experiencing God through worship. Um, now we're going to come to a time we're going to dig into His Word and learn a little bit more about what's going on in there. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, uh, you can also follow along on the screen. Or if you'd like to have a Bible in front of you and you don't, there are some baskets along the aisles. Uh, You can grab a Bible there, uh, and if you don't actually own a Bible, grab that Bible, read through it this morning, and you can take that home with you. That's our gift to you. So let's get into it. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 5.14 and continue in to chapter 6, verse 2 to finish. For Christ's love compels us, for we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In chapter 6, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of my salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation.
1: Today is week three of Vision Month and the title of my message today is Compelled to Go and Grow. Now those two words, go and grow, are two important words in the Christian life and if you were to get to the end of 2018 and you could say this year, I've been compelled by the love of Christ to go and to grow, then I think it would be a year of progress in your faith. The areas of go and grow are two areas of passion in my life and we're really talking today about mission and discipleship. These are two of our five key focus areas as a church, and they're captured in our mission statement, which is now up on the wall every week. Our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. The follow part is the grow part. To follow Jesus is what discipleship is. It's learning from him. It's Growing our relationship with Him. It's being transformed by the Holy Spirit every single day to become more and more like Christ. Uh, In the video, you saw Marco gathering with a a small group of people, and today we're going to talk about our small groups. And that's one way of growing in our faith uh, every week. And so, you've got the follow part, which is the grow part, but we've got the in our community part, which is the go part. Uh, In the video, you would have seen Greg down at the food van serving week after week down there. There's people serving the disadvantaged and poor in our community. You would have seen um, Wayne sharing the gospel with a friend over coffee. And these are all examples of how we are to go as a community of people uh, with the good news of the gospel. We are to be people that have go on the inside of our lives. God is calling us not to be comfortable, uh, just a holy huddle every weekend, but to stretch outside of our comfort zone to go with the good news to the world around us. And we do both, both of these things, going and growing. We do them all for his glory. And So we're going to say the mission statement together today because I want us to know this off by heart. And so repeat after me. Our mission, our mission. is to follow Jesus, follow Jesus. In, our in our community for his glory. Say it again. Our mission, our mission is to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. In, our in our community for his glory. For his glory. Have we memorised it yet? Karen. No? <laughs> Hannah. Uh, boom, boom. Beck. <laughs> We're doing this again. Our mission <laughs> is to follow Jesus... In our community, for His His glory. I'm worried about you three. When it's on the wall, you still can't get it right. Every week, you can look at it. It's up there. We're going to learn this. We're going to know why we're here and who we are and what we do and why we do it. And so it's important that we know our mission. I've got two simple points today. You'll be happy to know, Hannah. They are that we are compelled by the love of Christ to go and we're compelled by the love of Christ to grow. And so let's start with point number one. We are people who are compelled to go. Now, here's a question for you this morning. How have we managed to make Christianity so boring? I'm not just talking about follow-up at this church. I'm talking about uh, the church worldwide. When people think of Christianity, they don't think of something that's vibrant and alive and life-changing, good news. They often think of it as something that is old-fashioned and judgmental and hypocritical and legalistic and daggy and boring. The concept of most people in our community joining a church community such as this is so foreign that the vast majority would never, in their wildest dreams, imagine it ever becoming a possibility. Why? Because they've met Christians. That's the sad reality. They've met Christians. Many Christians I've met look like they're sucking on a lemon. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Come and follow Jesus. Really exciting. And that's what we present to the world, this incredibly dead, boring kind of life. And that's just so sad because for many people, there's no passion, there's no joy, there's no life. They're not compelled by the love of Christ. And the question I have is, how can that be possible when we have the greatest news the world could ever hear? How is that possible? I've heard some preachers that have the most incredible gift. They can take the most amazing, dynamic, alive book and they can make it so mind-numbingly boring that it's an incredible gift. They could take something so incredible and make it so boring that it would put you to sleep. And I just think, wow, I'm in awe of those people. That is an extraordinary gift to take something so amazing and make it so bad. When I read the Word of God, maybe you think I'm one of those, but that's okay. When I read the Word of God, I can't help but get excited. And in today's passage, Paul explains why the gospel is so exciting. And in one sentence, he describes why it is so powerful and if we understand this sentence and we accept the truth within it, it will grip our hearts in a way that will never be the same again. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. There's the theme for the year, 2018, compelled. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore All died. This is the gospel, that one man, Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God on the cross died for all humanity and everyone who would accept what he did on the cross can be saved. In other words, everything we've done wrong, every time we've failed and hurt others, every time we've disobeyed God, the truth is we deserve to be punished. The Bible lays down the punishment. It says the wages of sin is death. Jesus on the cross said, I will take that penalty for you. I will die in your place for your sin. And when we accept what Jesus did, he gets what we deserve, the death penalty, and we get what he deserves, and that's relationship with God the Father. That's incredible truth. That's the best news you'll ever hear, that he has removed our sin, that obstacle between us and a holy God, and he's brought us back into relationship with him, that's the best news you'll ever hear. It's what we call amazing grace. It's undeserved love. And as we read through today's passage, I don't know if you notice, but it's saturated in grace. Let me read some of the statements in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's allow these to settle into our spirit this morning. Our theme verse, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all die. Verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Has anyone here ever had a new car? You know the new car smell? People get in, they go, oh, it's got the new car smell. And when you have a new car, it's it all works well, nothing creaks, it's all tight, it's shiny, it's new, it's exactly what it's designed to be. What about a bag of new coffee beans, when you rip it open, or you <laughs> even, even works with instant, when you peel back the uh, you know, little label there, and you, is there a better smell in the world than fresh coffee beans? It's an incredible smell. There's something awesome about a new car. There's something beautiful about coffee beans. But let me tell you, you are more than a new car or a bag of beans. You are a completely new person in Christ. When Jesus comes into your life, he sets you free from the past. He gives you a new hope in Christ and you are a completely new person. That's why we call it being born again. You're a new person in Christ. Now, you might not always feel like it. Your life might not always look like it because until Christ returns, we still struggle with sin. But let me assure you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, when God the Father looks at you, as far as he's concerned, the old is gone and the new has come. He no longer looks at you and me and sees a sinner, but he sees the righteousness of his own son, Jesus Christ. You are in Christ and his love covers you verse 18, it says, all this is from God. This is his incredible gift to us who reconciled us to himself through Christ. In verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Put your hand up if you're relieved that God's not counting your sins against you anymore. Some of you don't care. You're like, yep, yeah, I'm happy for them Count them against me. But for the rest of you... You're very relieved this morning. God's not counting your sins against you because in Christ, his love and his sacrifice has covered your sin. Let me tell you, church, this is deeply and profoundly good news. The love of Christ compels us because we're convinced of this. And when that love of Christ truly grips our hearts, it will compel us to live our lives in a certain way. And one of the things it will do is it will cause us to be people with go on the inside. One of the earliest messages I preached when Follow first commenced, I talked about spiritual maturity. And the reality is that many people, many Christians, think that spiritual maturity is knowing your Bible and quoting John Piper. And that's their version of Christian maturity. Now, don't get me wrong this morning. Theology is incredibly important, so important that we keep growing in God's Word that we know it well. But spiritual maturity is more than just simply knowing your Bible. Christian maturity is... Uh, Faith never stops with just knowing your Bible. Book of James, he says, Faith without works is dead. And so true Christian maturity always flows from the inside out and it manifests in mission to the world around us. The statement I made in that early sermon was, if our theology doesn't go from our head to our heart to our feet and back to our mouths as we share the gospel, then it's an incomplete theology and it's an immature spirituality. Let me say that again this morning. If our theology doesn't go from our head to our heart to our feet and back to our mouth as we go and share the gospel, it's an incomplete theology and it's an immature spirituality because true Christian maturity always flows from the inside out and manifests in mission. Have you ever had good news that you couldn't wait to share? I know for me, um, my kids were probably, when they were born, it was probably the most outstanding example of good news I couldn't wait to share. I remember when Annika was born, our third child. She was born in the evening. And I remember getting to hold her and spend spent some time with her and Kim. But after a while, Kim needed to rest and I needed to go. And there was uh, a time where I had to leave. And at that particular time in my life, I was a young adult leader at the church I was serving at. And so... Um, after the birth, I was exhausted. It's very hard work for us guys, <laughs> standing there for hours and going through the inconvenience of childbirth. It's very difficult, and my wife's in Follow Kids this morning. <laughs> what happens here stays here. We know the rules. But even though I was exhausted, after the birth, there was no way I was just going home to bed. And so I jumped in the car, and I flew from Monash Hospital in Clayton all the way to our church in Cheltenham, where our young, young adult ministry was finishing up for the night, and I wanted to tell everyone. Now, these days, we can't wait to post it, can we? Just get out of the room, we just post it on Facebook. But Facebook wasn't really a thing back then. Some of the young people looking at me like, huh? Facebook <laughs> wasn't a thing? Now, we had this other thing called face look. Um, we actually looked into the face of real people. It was awesome back then. Uh, but now we have Facebook. Um, it's amazing, isn't it, how society goes. We have Facebook. Uh, we have Facebook. And then we go, "Now nah, we need Facebook. And then we go, "Now nah, we need FaceTime so that we can do what we did before when we didn't have Facebook. Uh, isn't it interesting how technology works? But we have... Uh, Facebook and Facebook, and and I remember getting to young adults that night and bursting into the auditorium and telling everyone that we had a daughter. Her name was Annika. She was healthy. She was beautiful, and there was cheering, and there was high fives, and there was celebration, and it was so exciting sharing the good news. I didn't care what anyone thought. I just couldn't wait to tell them about it. I remember the same feeling when Lenny was born. We'd had three girls at that stage, and they are awesome and, and amazing But by that stage, I wanted a boy. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you today. I really wanted a son. And so I'd been praying about that. And when the lady said uh, in the scan, baby is a boy, I'm like, yes. And it came out loud. And I was really excited. And I couldn't wait to post it because we had Facebook at that stage. So I got out of the room and I posted that we were having a son. And it was such an exciting time. And the point is that when we have good news, sharing it isn't an issue. We can't wait to share it. We're compelled to share it, and we want everybody to know. And so what about the gospel? If you truly believe the gospel, your desire to share the good news will always be greater than your fear of what people will think. I want to talk a little bit today about evangelism. I think there's some misconceptions. I think there's definitely some people uh, in, the, in the body of Christ that are gifted evangelists. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says some are gifted to be prophets and teachers and pastors and evangelists. And there's some people that have a real gift of evangelism. And you put them out on a street and they'll stand on a soapbox and they'll have some tracks and they'll preach to you and you'll be so convicted that you'll give your life to Jesus and there's great fruit. Uh, there's some people that do the same things and they're not gifted at it and that causes a lot of damage. Um, And so I don't think everyone's gifted to to share the gospel that way. But on the other end of the spectrum, at the other end of the extreme, there's people that go, well, I'm not a gifted evangelist, so I never have to share the gospel. Let me say, I think that all of us, as believers of Jesus Christ, that have been saved by his grace, every single one of us has the responsibility to share this incredibly good news. How selfish would it be to have the greatest news the world can ever hear and keep it to ourselves? All of us have a responsibility to share. And so what does that look like for people that aren't gifted evangelists on the street? Well, I think uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 15 gives us really good perspective on this. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. When Peter wrote this, he makes an assumption that people will look at our lives as followers of Christ and they will be so different that it will cause them to ask about our faith. This week I was at the local council at Cadinia Shire and I was meeting with a lady there about some different community ideas that we have. And um, she was telling me that every time they come up with a new community outreach in this local community, one of the first questions they ask in the room is, how can we get Follow Baptist Church and the food van involved with this? And that is just incredible, because most councils say, how can we keep churches out of this? And we live in a council that has seen the way that we serve our community every week at the food van, in the high schools, in our personal lives, through starter packs, and they say, here's a church full of people that are different. And there's something about them that that is attractive, something about them that makes us want to be involved with what they're doing. Uh, That discussion with her that day led to about a a 30-minute discussion about faith. She's not a churchgoer, but she said her seven-year-old son is really fascinated with God and wants to know more. And so she's thinking about bringing her seven-year-old son to come to follow kids. And I left that so encouraged that You guys serving in our local community has opened her eyes to an interest in who God is and why we would serve a God such as that. Michael Frost, missiologist, talks about the importance of living questionable lives. And when we say questionable lives, it's usually dodgy lives. I'm not talking about that kind of lifestyle. I'm talking about questionable lives that when people look at us following Christ, they're forced to ask questions about why we do what we do and why we are who we are. And I think that's a really great principle. If you're not a gifted evangelist out on the street, but at the same time, if nobody has asked you about your faith recently, you probably need to ask the question, why? Because when we live questionable lives, opportunities will always come. In verse 20 of today's passage, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that awesome? That the God of the universe that saved mankind would make his appeal through us. That's a beautiful thought. An ambassador is usually a person who is permanently stationed in another country to represent the country that they've come from, where they're citizens. I'm sure in Australia we have ambassadors for all sorts of different countries here. Um, I'm sure we have an ambassador for somewhere like France. And I'm sure if you met them, they probably love croissants and they might offer you snails to eat and they'd speak with a lovely French accent. And you can look at them and you can hear from them and you will get a glimpse of what France is like. And if they are good ambassadors, they'll make it so attractive that you'll actually want to go there. And Paul says that you and I as followers of Christ, we are like that for Jesus. We are ambassadors of Christ. The Bible teaches that we are, as Christians, aliens and strangers here on earth. Now, with some Christians, I've met the alien part is definitely true. But it's not communicating That we're to be extraterrestrial weird beings, what it's communicating is that this place, which we're often so obsessed with at times, is not our forever home. We are passing through, we are citizens of another place, we're citizens of heaven. In other words, while we live here on earth, on every day that Christ has given us, we represent Jesus. As strangers and aliens and citizens of another place, we are ambassadors of Christ, and when people meet us, they should see a glimpse of who Jesus is and what heaven is like. In a dark world, we represent the light of the world. In a world full of anxiety, we represent the Prince of Peace. In a world full of hate, we stand for a God who is love. In a world that's broken, we represent a God who says, I can make you whole. In a world that is lost, searching for truth, and dead in their sins, we represent the one who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We represent Christ. In verse 18, Christ has reconciled us into a relationship with God and he's given us the message of reconciliation to share with the world. In verse six, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, We are God's co-workers, representing him and sharing the gospel. Our job is to go and to sow, and God's job is to grow. And so we've got to do our part, go and sow the good news, and God's job is to change people's hearts and open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And so point number one today is that we are people on mission who are compelled by the love of Christ to go. The second point is that we are people who are compelled by the love of Christ to grow. And if I believe if we grow deeper, we'll go further. If we grow deeper, we'll go further. One of the first videos we ever produced, in fact, it was the first video we ever produced for Follow about three years ago, is still on the front page of our website, so you can check it out. Um, You may not recognize the guy speaking on the video. Just imagine me skinnier, with no gray hair or bags under my eyes, coincidentally with the same name, Luke. And Luke talked about why we planted follow. That was a joke, and it's actually me. I just look 10 years old or three years down the track. Um, But in the video, I talked about church being like a divine petrol station, that every week when we come to church, we come and we're filled up. So we're filled up as we gather around God's word, as we pray together, as we journey in fellowship, as we eat after the service. We are filled by God so that we can go into our week and be people on mission. And then by the end of the week, if we're serving God and we've got go on the inside of us, we'll be pretty worn out. So we come back and we're filled again and then we can go again. And that's one of the powerful things about gathering together in a corporate setting like this. And I still think that's true, but I also don't think it's enough. To truly grow, we need to journey with one another in intimate relationship. And it's very hard to do that just on a weekend service. In the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we get an account of God creating the world over six days. At the end of each day of creation, he said, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, until he created us, and he said, it's now very good if you're feeling down on yourself today, if you have low self-esteem, remember this. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. Precious and valuable in his eyes. When we flip over to Genesis chapter 2, it outlines the same event from a different perspective. This time it shows that God first created Adam. He placed him in the Garden of Eden. Adam was not alone at that point. He had all the animals around him and he had intimate relationship with God. But even in that context of the garden, God said to him at that time, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve to be in complementary relationship with Adam so that they could go and multiply and fill the earth. The point is that we are created for relationship. And the reason that we're created for relationship with one another is that Genesis also tells us that we're created in the image of God. And God is a relational God. He has existed forever, for all eternity, in perfect intimate relationship. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect relationship together. And so he creates us in his image and we're designed to be people who live in the context of relationship with him and with one another. Now, in our sinful nature, ever since the fall, we tend to gravitate towards selfishness and individualism. And the world, it revolves around us. We become the most important person in the world. And that's what the fall's done. We think that we're the most important person in the world. But when Jesus comes into our life, he does something transformational and he redeems what we were meant to be from the very start and he now creates us to be people in him that no longer revolve around ourselves but we become a community of people that revolve around him. And this is what the Bible calls fellowship. It's radically countercultural relationship. relationships. God has reconciled us, this passage tells us, to himself, but he's also reconciled us into relationship with one another. Jesus says, as new creations in him, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. How did he love you? He laid his life down for you. Radical, self-sacrificial, unconditional love, he gave his life for you. And he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul says in this passage that we're no longer to regard each other from a worldly point of view, but our journey together should reflect the grace of God. Of all people, knowing the grace of God in our lives, we should be the best people at dispensing that grace to one another. As he pours it into our life, we should be freely give, freely receive, freely give. But the truth is... We're sometimes just not. Sometimes we're no different to the world around us. We hold grudges and we gossip and we get bitter and we avoid and we resent. And when people do the wrong thing and sometimes even when they don't. We understand that we've received the grace of God in Christ. And we say, thank you, Lord, for your grace, your undeserved love. But then when it comes to dispensing that grace, we look at that person. We say, they don't deserve it. And I would say, yes, that's what grace is. It's undeserved love. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. And so you and I, centered as a community around Christ, are called to be people who dispense the grace of God in and through relationship. God has lavishly poured his grace into our lives, not to hoard it for ourselves, but to be generous and to overflow that love to one another. A follow is not a perfect community. I think it's a pretty good one, myself. I'm biased. I think it's pretty good, but it's not a perfect community. If you've been here for a while and you haven't yet been offended, congratulations. Today, you're one day closer. (laughs) Hang around long enough. It's going to happen. When it happens, we won't mean it, or at least I hope. We'll try our best to love and serve you, but inevitably, we'll fall short, and each of us should be mighty grateful this is not a perfect community, because if it was, we would not let you in. You'd stuff it up, and so would we. It's not a perfect community. It's a community that's held together by grace. If you're a note taker today, I want you to write this down. Grace is the glue that holds fellowship together. Without grace, it falls apart. Grace is the glue that holds fellowship together. In this letter, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he urges the church at Corinth, who he's desperately seeking reconciliation with, not to take the grace of God in vain. In verse 9, he said he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we need to ask ourselves in the circumstances we find ourselves in, are we inflaming a situation or are we uniting people? Are we dividing or are we reconciling? Because the fruit of reconciliation is always that relationships go deeper. It's this kind of fellowship that gives us opportunity to not only know the gospel, but to live out the gospel What's the gospel? It's forgiveness. It's repentance. It's kindness. It's patience. It's grace. It's love. As you meet face to face with real people, in real circumstances, with real issues, in real life, you will have ample opportunity to live out the gospel towards one another. And when we do, people will know that we are his disciples. I said before, it's hardly possible in the high and buy of a weekend service. so at Follow, we try and create space to grow deeper in what we call MCGs. They're missional community groups. This is where the go and the grow come together as we consider studying the Bible, as we pray, as we encourage, as we eat together, as well as considering how we can serve together on mission. Let's share some more ideas about that next week. In a community this size, you won't be able to know everybody. But you can know somebody. And MCGs, they turn big church back into small church. You can get lost in a gathering like this, but you can't get lost in an MCG. MCGs take church from rows to circles. Today, as you sit in your seat, you're looking at the back of somebody's head. Nine times out of ten, their face will look better than the back of their head. If you're one of the old ones out, we love you anyway, Rowan. I pre-warned him about that the last one on staff is the first one for the jokes but mcgs bring you face to face with real people who can journey with you through all the seasons of life they won't be perfect people they won't be perfect people they may not even be like you they might not even like you they'll always give you the opportunity to live out the gospel in potentially life-changing ways. They will give you plenty of practice in your ministry of reconciliation and you may just find lifelong friendships in something like an MCG. I'm going to invite the MCG leaders to come forward now so you know who they are. They're going to do it really quickly because they're just those sorts of people. Let's give them a round of applause as they come up. Most of them aren't that scary. (laughs) Each of these guys have committed to leading an MCG this year, either by themselves or as couples, and it's a great opportunity to to gather with them. And so this year, we really want to set people apart for what they've been called to do. And so we're going to pray for, for these guys as MCG leaders now. So I just invite you to bow your heads as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us to be people in relationship. Lord, we're serious about journeying together in community. We don't always do it perfectly, but I pray that you'd help us to continue to do it regardless of the fact that it's not perfect. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to live out the gospel in our relationships, that together we'd have moments of great joy as we study your word, as we pray together, as we journey through life together, as we sacrificially, unconditionally love one another as you have loved us. Lord, I pray for each of these leaders. Lord, I thank you for their willingness this year to step out and say, yep, We believe this is serious enough that we want to lead these groups. We want to see people grow deeper in their faith this year. And so I pray for each of these leaders, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would equip them, that you would empower them to be leaders of integrity, leaders of commitment, leaders of faith, hope, and love. And I pray for each of the groups, Lord. I pray this year that they would grow. I pray that they would be helpful, that they would be dynamic and alive, and I pray that they'd be a great place for people to connect. And so be with them as they go, Lord. I pray give them boldness and confidence. Lord, cast out any fear. We know perfect love drives out all fear. They have nothing to be fearful about. They, they minister uh, the gospel empowered by your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you'd be with each of them. I pray that we'd support them as a church, encourage them, train them, equip them, that they could do this job incredibly well for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's give them another round of applause. Thank you very much, guys. I'm going to invite the uh, music team forward now. As they come up, we're going to fix our attention on the screen for an MCG video.
0: I love MCG because I think it's so important to share in God's Word and to be with people who are travelling on the same path with you. Even if we are at different parts of our faith journey, I feel like we can all learn and grow with each other. And I just think the relationships formed at MCGs are beautiful and irreplaceable.
1: Awesome. Ash is becoming a bit of a movie star around here. (laughs) She's our go-to face. She's a great testimony of someone whose life's been changed, and so it's awesome to see her. Um, talking about it. But MCGs, as I said before, after the service today, we have MCG sign up So there's tables right across the back of the auditorium. Uh, we've got groups for everyone. We've got men's groups, women's groups, youth, young adults, nighttime, daytime, empty nests, young families, new groups, old groups, adult groups. We've got every group except seniors groups, and we even have them that just want to call themselves seniors. Today I'd encourage you to browse the tables and you can sign up for a group and you can taste and see if you want. If you want to go to a group if it's not quite for you, um, you can try other groups as well until you find the one that fits you. We'd love to see everyone or as many people as possible involved in an MCG this year. The only groups we don't have yet are perfect groups. Maybe you've never tried a small group before. I want to encourage you this year to give it a go. Maybe you've had a bad experience at a previous church. Well, I want to encourage you to put yourself out there again and see what God can do. If you've only ever been in the rows, I want to encourage you, maybe 2018 is the time to join a circle. Who knows? You may just find some lifelong relationships and you may just grow in supernatural ways in your faith this year. In 2018, we have an opportunity to go and we have a new opportunity to grow. And so I pray that we'd be compelled by the love of Christ to share the gospel and to journey together in community.